Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our worship service. You'll notice in the bulletin that our order of worship is going back to, it's a bit of a throwback to what we did uh, some time ago. So you'll have an opportunity, if you like it, to pray out loud together in this body. So be thinking about that time. If there's something that you would like to pray for or maybe you have a request, I just want to put that on your mind before we get started. Our call to worship is from Psalm 47, verses 1 through 7. I invite you to stand for the call to worship. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. Would you please pray with me? Lord, we have heard your call to worship. You've called us to sing praises, to recount your wonderful deeds to call upon your name. We are here this evening to do these things. Would you help us by the power of your spirit to worship both in spirit and truth, to make known your glory in our own lives, uh, in our town? Would you cause us to be a testimony to those around us uh, as we go into this work week, to this school week, and all that we do? Uh, Would you make this time of worship uh, boil over and spill over into all of those areas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would remain standing, we'll sing our first hymn, which is hymn 115, All Creatures of Our God and King. Let's sing hymn 115.
You may be seated. You can turn in your hymnals to our next hymn, which is hymn 252, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. We'll take up our evening offering at this time, and as we take up our evening offering, we will continue singing with hymn 252. So let's continue worshiping together. Well, if you've been here in the past, this time where it says the prayers of the people is a time in which uh, we invite anyone who would like to, to pray out loud uh, and to bless us with that encouragement and with that prayer. Um, We'll have a time uh, of silence. After there's been a time of silence, I will close us in prayer. But is there anything that I can be praying for, that we can be praying for, uh, that you would Rather not pray for yourself, but you feel comfortable sharing now. Is there anything that we can pray for? Great. Well, vast uh, Elder Roger to start us off again. If you feel comfortable praying, you. Um, After a short time, I'll close this in prayer. Roger, would you please start us off?
God, you have blessed us with a, a wonderful church family, and you have blessed us with opportunities to gather together on Wednesday evenings, and what might seem like a regularly scheduled ministry, uh, there are supernatural things happening. When we come together, when we worship you, when we study your word, and we pray that you would bless this time as we go into our regular Wednesday nights. Lord, we pray again that you would be good to us, 
that you would pour out your riches and grace as we learn from you, as we come together as a community and come to know each other better through simple conversations over meals and afterwards. God, it's a rather simple time, but it is uh, no less, uh, it is far more incredible uh, what it is that you do in gatherings like that. So we pray that you would bless it. Lord, we pray again that you would bless your word as it is preached and that you would end our Sabbath with the peace and the knowledge of your love for us and the power in which you've given us through your spirit to live for you in all that you have called us to do. So God, we pray that you bless this time, bless your church. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verse 35 is where we'll start tonight. As you turn there, I'll give a brief introduction again. This is the last week of our January series, Questioning Jesus. And we've covered the questions that have come up in Mark chapter 12, which are... Uh, Should I be honest about my taxes? Uh, Will we be married in heaven? What's the most important commandment? And finally, this evening, am I, are you, a generous person? And perhaps no question causes us more discomfort or more guilt or more confusion than whether God asks us to give of ourselves to the church how much we're to give, how often, what does it look like to be a generous person in all areas? And we learn from a poor widow tonight that everything God desires about giving boils down to this word generosity. So let's look at our text this evening together. Mark 12, verse 35, this is God's word. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Tonight I want to focus on the latter portion of our passage, the poor widow's generosity. And I want to look at it in three points. The first being, what is generosity? The second being, 
learning how to be generous, and third, enjoying the generous life. So let's look at what is generosity. Simply put, generosity is self-sacrificial giving. Um, One of the things I've heard a few times since moving to Mississippi is that Mississippi is one of the most generous states in the country, if not the number one most generous state in the country. And I did some digging into this to find out if this still holds true or if it ever held true, which I thought it did. And it's a strong statement. It's something to be proud of uh, because, as many people know, Mississippi ranks as one of the lowest uh, median incomes Uh, lowest per capita GDP, however you want to put it, Mississippi ranks near the bottom. But they have generous hearts, the citizens of Mississippi. And so I came across an article from Forbes that lists the most generous states in the country. And I found that they tell a very different story from another source I found. Their top ten most generous states included Montana, Uh, D.C., Maine, Connecticut, Missouri, Kansas. There was not a lot of love for the South in their list. Now, when I read another report from a website called philanthropyroundtable.org, their top ten states for generosity were Utah as number one, and then Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, and on into the South, They measured this by the percentage of gross, adjusted gross income of the state that's given away. So even though Mississippi makes the least amount of money, statistically, they give away the second highest percentage of their income in the country, which sounds pretty generous to me. And now if you look at the bottom 10 states, the least generous according to Philanthropy Roundtable, You'll see Connecticut, Maine, Rhode Island, Massachusetts. And I thought it was interesting because, not to get too political, but if you know how certain states typically vote, one list looks great for one group and one list looks very poor for the other. So when you make a list like this, the data that you include and how you organize it is what matters most. You can make any state look generous or not generous. So how do you define generosity? One of the states that ranks almost last in the list that ranks Mississippi as number two, um, they were one of the top states in generosity for Forbes. It was Maine. And they said that Maine had the third highest rate for informal helping. They had the fourth highest rate for formal volunteering at 35%. And they had the eighth highest number of charities per 1,000 people. So that was a way to measure generosity if you have a lot of charities. Okay? So they looked at those factors to determine what is generosity. Then they said this about Mississippi, and I'm almost done with this portion, but... They said this about Mississippi. This is what Forbes said. It said, Mississippi, it should come as no surprise that charitable giving is unpopular in the state 
with the lowest average salary. Mississippi ranks fourth lowest for charitable giving and 13th lowest for the number of charities per capita. Then it says, I'm sorry, it makes me angry. Uh, they said residents of the Magnolia State may also be short on time. They rank 11th lowest for both informal helping and formal volunteering. You know, I don't have anything against Forbes. I enjoy some of their articles. But when I did some studying on this report, I found as you scroll down to the bottom, <clears throat> uh, you'll find that they don't count churches as charities, which the IRS, in fact, does count churches as charities. So they are, in fact, they, they remove churches from the equation. That's how they get their list, and that's how they stack who is more generous than another. So it's no wonder Mississippi ranks eighth least generous if they're not counting charitable giving to churches or volunteering at churches and so on. So Forbes doesn't have a great admiration for churches. So who's right? Who's the most generous? My point is defining generosity matters more than you might think. It matters more than you might think. And how we define generosity reveals our understanding of the gospel, of God's love. It defines, it, it changes how we understand grace. True generosity, as we'll see in our passage, is sacrificial giving. Not giving out of abundance, it's giving out of lack. And it seems to be something that Mississippi understands. When Jesus finishes his teachings, our text says he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. As an aside, it would be quite daunting to put in an offering with Jesus sitting across from you. I don't know about you, but it would be for me. And as the passage says, many rich, rich people were putting in large sums, and then a poor widow puts in two small coins, all she had. And Jesus declares that she's put in more than all those rich people combined. We know from research that widows at that time had very little social standing. They were socially powerless, socially honorless in a society that emphasized honor and power and status. But they were protected under Jewish law. She's giving out of not abundance, but out of lack. And we know that likely she was being provided for by the very offering that she was giving to. Widows were provided for by the temple, by the church. She understands that others need help as much or more than she does. I read a sermon from Jonathan Edwards about generosity and one of the objections that he heard and that he raised in his message was, uh, I can't afford to give or I can't afford to be generous because I have nothing to give. I, if I give, it will be a burden to me. And then he said, what you're really saying is that you can't carry another's burden without burdening yourself. In other words, he's saying, how do you expect to carry another person's burden if you're not burdened yourself? 
In other words, true generosity is sacrificial giving. It's burdening oneself with someone else's burden. So then Jesus says this in the passage, if you want to read verse 43. Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The giving that Jesus is, is observing here is likely the tithe, the temple tithe. And tithe means one-tenth. And in the Old Testament, God commanded the Israelites to give one-tenth of various things, basically of all their produce, of what they produced, their fruits, what their animals produced, everything. Deuteronomy 14 says this about the tithe, why they did the tithe. He says, And the Levite, Moses said, And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. So the tithe was a way of, was a way of not just honoring God in worship, but providing for the Levites, who were the ones running the religious services in the Old Testament times of Israel, the fatherless, the widow, the sojourner, the people in need. That is what the tithe was for. And you might ask, okay, does the tithe apply today to the New Testament believers? How do we relate to the Old Testament law that we see playing out in Israel? If you go to Romans 7, verse 4, Paul says this. He says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So the old ceremonial and civic laws pointed towards Christ and were fulfilled in Christ. Now we live in him and through him by the Spirit. So the tithe that Jesus is observing here most likely is no longer a commandment as the people of Israel is no longer a physical place but a spiritual reality. And the New Testament doesn't include any biblical commands to tithe, to give one-tenth. But there are places in which Jesus himself agrees that the principle of the tithe is a good thing, that if those who are doing it should continue to do it. But clearly, Jesus is commending the poor widow for her sacrificial giving, for her generosity. She gave over and above of course, a 10% amount of her produce. She gave beyond her means, out of her lack. So we see that true generosity for the widow and for Christ is sacrificial giving, not giving out of abundance. We ought then to follow, as Jesus is bringing our attention to this person, follow in the widow's footsteps 
because she is in turn following the steps of her Lord and Savior. So how do we learn to be generous like this widow? Learning how to be generous. Our second point. To be a generous person, to give sacrificially, you have to receive sacrificially first. Paul writes to the churches of Macedonia in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Listen to what he says to these churches. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So why did the church, why did the churches in Macedonia give sacrificially? Because they received the riches of Christ. Paul continues on in verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The Macedonian churches had received from Jesus his grace, the riches of his love, and they learned generosity in him. And through Christ, they were given a desire to give. And not just a desire to give, but as Paul says, they followed through on that desire. In verse 11, he says, So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For the readiness, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So their heart's desire matched their decision, decision to give. So Paul teaches that as you receive the generosity of Christ in your life, Jesus makes you generous. If you want to be a generous person, then come to know Jesus himself. Come to know his generosity towards you. That is how we learn to be generous. So what does it look like to live the generous life? Our last point. What happens as we begin to be generous in and through Christ? What happens? One more quote from Jonathan Edwards, which I thought was so good. He says, and I'll translate this. He says, Giving doth not tend to poverty, but the contrary, it is not the way to diminish our substance, but to increase it. So in other words, he's saying, by giving your things away, you don't end up with less, you end up with more. You increase. Malachi chapter 3 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not room enough to store it. 
This is not the health and wealth gospel. This is the spiritual riches in Christ. We already know that God promises to supply our needs. Each one of us here, God will supply your needs. Whether we're wealthy or not is of little value to God. It is a good thing. But God desires to give us a new heart that grows in sacrificial giving for his name's sake. He says, test me in this. If I will not bless you with more than you need. Paul ends this section when he's talking about these churches who are giving out of their poverty. He says, The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. So if you desire to be generous in Christ, you'll be generous. You'll grow to be generous in Christ. We can live a generous life as the widow shows us because God has promised to supply our needs. And he has promised that he will be with us In Psalm 37, we read this, I've been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Proverbs 11 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. So maybe you're hearing this, and you're reluctant. You know Jesus has been so generous to you, yet you don't know how to begin to be generous. You might know far better how ungenerous you are, like I am myself. Maybe you're thinking about the amount of tithe that you give or the amount of offerings you give each month to the church or how much time you spend giving to the church itself, how much time you're volunteering, or whatever it might be, you're thinking through these things. What we need to be reminded of, and that's so wonderful in this passage, is that no gift, as James Edwards says, no gift, whether of time, money, or talent, is too insignificant to give if it is given to God. And what is truly given to God, regardless of how small and insignificant, is transformed into a pearl of great price. It is amazing that this story of a widow who gives the amount of, the most insignificant amount of money you can conceive of in that time, she is known forevermore, for all of eternity in Scripture, for that moment. I want to end with a story. I came across a very strange story of generosity from 2018. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but a woman named Kate was driving late at night, and she ran out of gas, and a homeless Marine veteran named Johnny saw her in need and offered 
the last $20 that he had so that he could go and get Kate gas. This is an amazing act of self-sacrificial generosity. So Kate, in response to this generosity, started a GoFundMe campaign, and they raised $400,000 from 14,000 different people to give to this homeless veteran. Amazing. Until you keep reading about the story. I went deeper into the story, and it turns out that Kate wasn't willing to part with the money that she committed to raising for the veteran, and so the veteran sued her to get that money. Pretty sad. What started out as an act of kindness and gratitude and generosity and response had turned into self-seeking riches. Could have been the story that we read in Malachi where you give and God blesses you in return. God filling the storehouses in response to generosity. But then it gets even worse. You keep reading. I mean, I, I, I googled this story and it was almost chronological. The original story, then the next story, then the next story. The three layers. It turns out that the veteran, by suing Kate, revealed the whole scam, the whole scheme to the world. Kate and the veteran, this whole time, had made the whole thing up so that they could all get rich. It was all a lie to prey on people's desire to see generosity and kindness played out. This story reveals that our hearts are drawn towards self-sacrificial generosity. There is no greater love the world would acknowledge than someone laying down their life for another, than someone giving that last $20 they had to help someone else in need because it is beautiful. The account of the poor widow giving everything she had to honor God is as powerful to us, but also at the same time, it is foolish to us if we're being honest. We want to hold on to that last $20. We want to hold on to what we think we need. And so we can ask the question, I ask the question, are you a generous person? Because I am not. I am not a generous person. But here is the truth. I trust a generous Savior who gave up everything for me, who laid down his life for me. And through him, he is making me rich. He's making me generous. He is discipling me in self-sacrificial love that he is showing to me on a daily basis through his church, through his word, through the sacraments. It's not how much money you give. It's the desires of your heart that he is after. So are you a generous person? In Christ, by faith, you can be nothing else. God's grace will change you by faith. He will change your desires. 
So whether you give a small amount or a large amount to the church or elsewhere, whether you give of your time or your talents or whatever it might be, through the generosity of Christ himself, he sees it, he blesses it, he counts it as a, a, a pearl of great price when done in his name for him. And he will grow in you a desire to give sacrificially more and more as you come to know him more and more. And he says to test him in this. Test God to see if he is true to his word as you give sacrificially. Because in Christ there is no lack. His generosity towards sinners never runs out. How could we not give in return? This is what Christ calls us to, how to be generous. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have been so generous to us. You emptied yourself. You came down from heaven. You took on flesh. You lived in this world. You had the same struggles and temptations that we had you suffered and died on the cross for us. You did all of this to make us rich in you. How do we respond to such generosity except to give all that we have to you? So Lord, would you help us to consider the ways in which you are working in our life to give sacrificially to you, to your church, to others? Would you make opportunities for us to be those generous people that you are teaching us to be through your example? Would you cause others to see our generosity and to know that there is no other way we could be this generous except through you and the power of your spirit? So God, preach this to our hearts. Cause us to remember your goodness and your generosity towards us. And lead us in your example, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll close our service with what some might say is a Christmas hymn. Is anyone saying this hymn is Christmas? Anyone? Yes? Okay, it's fine to sing a Christmas hymn when it's not Christmas because this hymn is wonderful and fits with our theme. So I invite you to stand for our last hymn, which is 230 Thou who wast rich beyond all splendor. Let's stand and sing that.
Receive God's blessing as you go from Ephesians chapter 6. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen.